Good morning. Am I on? I'm on. Good morning, everybody. Um, for all that were in Sunday school this morning, I am sorry that after listening to Alistair Begg, you now have to listen to me. It is a definite downgrade. But I think if I had a Scottish accent, it would be different. So, so please, uh, we're going to continue through Timothy. I uh, had asked if they wanted me to do something in relation to Advent, and I was just encouraged to keep going through Timothy. So please, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll we'll dig in. That the title, the title is an is uh, an exemplary life. So, hopefully, we will be challenged with that today <clears throat> as we look at this passage. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus came, Lord, and born is the King of Israel. Lord, thank you for him, and I pray, Lord, that today as we sit here, that he is the king of each one of our hearts, that he is the one who sits on the throne of our hearts and is the one who receives all our affections. Lord, I pray now that as we open your word, that we would be challenged with what your word has to say today. Lord, that we would be convicted in it, Father, that we would strive to honor you in our lives, that our lives would truly be exemplary lives to a a lost world, Lord, lives that glorify Christ and glorify you. So, Father, now I pray that you would come, Lord. I pray that your spirit would come and that your spirit would fall upon us, Lord, and open our hearts and open our ears to hear your word, that we would hear your voice, Lord. Pray that you would eclipse mine, Father, and that Christ would be seen and that we would revel in his majesty and glory. In your name, amen. So most of us would venture to say that we had we had parents or we are parents that are concerned with who our children hung out with and who they didn't hang out with. We always wanted our kids to have friends that were, uh, according to the world, would be good friends. You know, they had some morals, they had some ethics, their, their families were good families. And so we wanted them to have friends that were exemplary, that were good examples. They weren't bad kids. They, you know, the Bible tells us that bad company corrupts good morals, and we didn't want our kids to have that. And so likewise, we don't want that as adults, right? We don't want to be surrounded by people that are bad company. We want to be around people that have exemplary lives, And so the Bible tells us that this is what we are to pursue. And in this passage, as we look at Paul, as he talks to Timothy, 
he's going to talk about Timothy having an exemplary life. And it's not only a challenge to Timothy, but it's a challenge to us. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 12 through, let me find it, 12 through the end of the chapter. And this is what Paul says. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's much there. We're going to deal with just verse 12 today is all we're going to deal with. And I, I very rarely deal with just one verse, but as I was, I, it was funny because I've, I've done the whole passage, but when I was giving Jenny the verses to put in here, and I said, okay, that's just my first point. She goes, okay, you need to stop right there. So this is going to be part two of this. So what Paul says, look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. This is what Paul writes. Let no one despise you for your youth. He's talking to Timothy. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So Timothy was to have an exemplary life. He was to be an example to the people of the church that he ministered to. This is a call for us leaders and even us in the church to be examples to each other especially the leadership. We're to be examples to the flock. And the Bible tells us these things. It encourages us. The New Testament encourages us to be these examples. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, Be imitators of me, an imitator, a mimicker, someone who mimics, as I am of Christ. In Philippians 3.17, he writes to the Philippian church, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who, who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. To the elders, Peter says this as they shepherd the flock. In 1 Peter 5, 3, they are to shepherd not domineering over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock. This is an example, this word example is a moral pattern. So what the problem, what, what Paul had to address is the first thing he says is not to let anybody look down on your youth, right? And so in that time, Timothy was considered fairly young at that time. And this word youthfulness is used for someone under the age of 40. So most scholars believe Timothy's in his 30s somewhere. Some believe that Timothy was in his early 30s, and some believe that he was in his late 30s. So I just said he's in his 30s somewhere. So this is where he is. But in that culture, a man, if he didn't have age, he didn't have much respect. And so this was Paul telling Timothy, you need to be an example. You need to be an example in these five areas. He was telling Timothy to be a, a moral pattern for the people at this church, that they would imitate him, that they would be joint imitators in him. They would mimic his Christ-like life. 
This is what he was challenging Timothy to do. He was urging Timothy to do. He was commanding Timothy to do, to live this life in these five areas. And I want to challenge us to look at our own lives in these five areas. Not only for your leaders, not only for the pastors, that our lives should be exemplary in these five areas, but also our lives just as believers should be exemplary in these five areas. So let's look at the first area. The first area that Paul talks to Timothy about is in his speech. He's to be exemplary in his speech. Look at verse 12 again. This is what he says. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech. So we all know the famous saying, right? We all know the famous saying of, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Boy, what a false statement that is, right? I mean, I would rather have somebody come up with a bunch of sticks and stones (laughs) because Sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can pierce, right? Words can pierce us. And so the pastor, the minister, the good servant of God is to be exemplary in his speech and how he talks and how he communicates with others, is to be an example. A a person's speech reflects what's in his heart. That's really what you want to know what's in somebody's heart. You just listen to him talk. And you'll find out what's in, his, what's in his heart. And Jesus says this as he's talking to the religious elite in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasures brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Listen to this verse, I tell you, On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Our speech is absolutely critical. It is absolutely critical in the Christian life. And it's an absolute frightening thing because of what Jesus just says here. On on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak we must be as believers we must be quick to listen and slow to speak we have to be calculating with our words our words must be gracious ephesians tells us exactly how our words are to be there first of all our speech is to be truthful it's to be truthful speech ephesians 4:25 Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of us, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Our words are to be truthful. They are not to be angry speech. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's not to be filthy speech. We're not to have filthy mouths, right? Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. This is the filthy talk. This is the swearing that we, that we can easily have. It's not to be malicious or slanderous speech. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This, our speech can slander people. We can be malicious in our speech and how we 
talk about other people. We can tear people apart with our speech. Even as believers, we can do this. To other believers, we can do this. Trust me, I, I understand this. I understand this. I mean, about four years ago, there was three men in my life that I couldn't say a good thing about. And, and I still have trouble saying a good thing about them. But boy, I could tear them apart. I could be real slanderous with it. I could be real malicious with my speech. And that is not an exemplary life. That is not being exemplary as a believer in our speech. Our speech should be gracious. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.29. To finish off that word, that verse, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That is what our speech is to do. It's to give grace to people that hear our words. That is putting Christ on display. Christ's words were gracious. Right? He was gracious to the woman caught in adultery that the, the, the religious leaders brought to him. And, and after he had written in the sand and he looks at the leaders and he says, you know, you who are without sin, Throw the first stone, and then they all leave, one by one. And then Jesus looks up, and it's just him and the adulterous woman. And he tells her, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. That is grace. That is grace. Our words should be gracious with whoever we're dealing with, in our businesses, in our homes, with our children, with our coworkers. Our words should be gracious. They should be gracious to those who hear us. So, the minister, the pastor, the good servant of God is to be exemplary in his speech. Secondly, he's to be exemplary in his conduct. He's to be exemplary in his conduct. This is the behavior. We're to be exemplary in our behavior. A good servant of God pursues righteous living. A good servant of God pursues righteous living. The pastor, the minister, our message must reflect our life. The message we speak must reflect our lives. If it doesn't, that's called hypocrisy. We're being hypocrites when we say one thing and don't do it, right? We say that term all the time, right? Do as I say, not as I do. That should not be the Christian's life. That should not be the pastor's life. That should not be the elder's life. We should not be those that sit there and say, do as I say, not as I do. But when we preach sermons as ministers or as just believers, if, if we're out in the world and we're telling people to repent and to turn to Christ, well, our lives better reflect that very message. If we're going to love Jesus and tell other people to love Jesus, we better be loving Jesus. Our message must fit our lives or our lives must fit the message. We must be exemplary in our conduct. Titus 2.7 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. Our lives are to be filled with integrity and, in, and dignity. We're to be those who are filled with good works towards others. Our conduct is righteous living. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. <coughs> Excuse me. But he has a good conduct. And our conduct must be good 
It must be exemplary. It must be a high standard among unbelievers. It must be that. And this is what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, your conduct among the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I love this, this verse. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, <coughs> Gentiles honorable. We are to be different. We are not to collage in. Right? We're not to fit in with the other worlds, but our conduct is to be exemplary. It's to be honorable. It's to be at a different standard so that when that day comes, when that day comes, they will glorify God on that day of visitation. This is what we are to do. We're to have exemplary lives. We're to have lives that are pursuing righteousness. Third, we're to be exemplary in our love. This is a tough one. We're to be exemplary in our love. Now, this love is the agape love. So it's not this fuzzy little feeling kind of love that we get when we meet a girl or we meet a boy and it's like ooh, do I love them do I like them or do I just lust after them one of the three right no this is this is a love that is a Christ-like love this is what Paul is telling Timothy you are to be an example you're to be exemplary in your love for the people it is to be Christ-like for the people this is what the love is it's a self-sacrificing love Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John that we are to love one another just as he has loved us. It is a sacrificial love. That's what it is. Jesus explains what this sacrificial love is in John fifteen thirteen. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friend. This was this ultimate sacrificial love is that Jesus lays down his life for his bride. Jesus lays down his life for his sheep, right? Ephesians tells us that. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is to be how we are to be, brothers and sisters, with each other. That is how us three elders are to be to you. We are to have a ministry that is filled with love for you. We're to have a ministry that is self-sacrificing for you. This is what our ministry should reflect. It should reflect Christ's likeness, a giving of ourselves. We are three men who are to lay our lives down for you all. Is that tough to do? Yes. But is that the call for the pastor? Yes. But is that the call for everybody? Yes, we should lay down our lives for each other. But you should see it in your leaders first. This is why Christ needs to be the ultimate example. He needs to be the ultimate example. Why should I lay down my life? Because Christ laid down his life for me. It's really simple. Our love needs to be exemplary. We're also to have 
an exemplary faith. An exemplary faith. Look back again at, at chapter 4, verse 12 of, of uh, 1 Timothy. Again, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and in faith. Now, this just isn't faith in Jesus, but this is a faithful person. We should be praying for each other that we would all be faithful people. Faithful to who Christ is. Faithful in our worship. Faithful in our prayer. Faithful in our reading. Faithful in our marriage. Faithful in our raising our children. Faithful in sharing the gospel to our grandchildren. Faithful in sharing the gospel to our great-grandchildren. Faithful in every aspect of our lives. This is what is exemplary. When we are faithful in our work, we are faithful in our jobs, we are faithful in our retirement, whatever that looks like. Maybe that's just going and sitting in your chair. But (laughs) be faithful in that. (laughs) But we are to be faithful. We are to be those who are faithful in what we say. We're to be those who are faithful in what we do. We're to be those who are faithful in what we teach. This is the faithful person. This is the faithful minister for us three men. I challenge us three men. We are to be faithful in what we say and in what we do and in what we teach. We're to be faithful to the word of God. This is what he's telling Timothy to do. You are to be a faithful man, Timothy, in everything you say and you do. You're to be an example of faithfulness to the church body. We are to be an example of faithfulness to the lost world. That is what we are to do. And we see faithfulness within the Bible, right? Moses was faithful, Numbers 12, 7. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in my house. That's what God is saying. Moses was faithful in his house. Timothy, we just talked about him. He was faithful, 1 Corinthians four seventeen. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, and I teach them (coughs) everywhere in every church. But Timothy, my beloved and faithful child. Epaphras. Epaphras was a faithful. Uh, Colossians 1.7, just as you learned learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Tychius or Tychius, I don't know how you say it. He was faithful, Colossians 4, 7. Tychius, who will tell you all about my activities, he's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. These men were faithful men, and the ultimate one, the ultimate one who was faithful was Jesus. We see that Jesus was faithful in everything he said. We see that Jesus was faithful in everything he did. And we see that Jesus was faithful in everything that he taught. He was a faithful man in his humanity. He was completely and fully faithful to the will of God, to do the work of God, to lay down his life for his sheep. He was faithful to finish the task that was before him. Brothers and sisters, we are to be faithful in the task that is set before us to spread the gospel of grace to a lost world. We are to be faithful. We are to be faithful people. And finally, we're to be exemplary in purity. 
We're to be exemplary in purity. Now, this purity is sexual purity. This is what Paul is talking about. We're to be exemplary, exemplary in our purity. Now, the minister of God, there is nothing that will bring down a pastor quicker than sexual sin. It will destroy his whole ministry. There's documentaries out there on TV that talk about these pastors, that talk about these leaders that have fallen. And we all know who they are. We know, we've heard their names. We don't need to say them. But what has brought them down was sexual sin. That's what brought them down was sexual sin. The minister of God must truly be a one-woman man. That is why Paul to Timothy in chapter 3, that's what he writes to the elders, right? That they must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, the elder, the pastor, the minister, must be a one-woman man so that he doesn't fall into sexual sin because it will destroy his ministry. And he's, and he, Paul knows this with Timothy. And he tells Timothy, be an example in your purity. Do not fall into sexual sin. What does that look like? What's that look like for us? What's it look like for us? Well, we have to be cautious with what we watch on TV. We have to be cautious with that. Is it affecting my purity? Is it causing me to lust after somebody that's not my bride? Is it causing me to have desires for another woman or for another man with what I watch? Is it giving me the mindset of, wow, I wish my husband was like that or I wish my wife was like this or I hope I get a man like this or a woman like this? Is it taking us away from the purity of the Christian faith? We have to be Vigilant in what we look at at the internet. No strain on the internet. No strain. Men, if you look at pornography on the internet, stop it. Don't do it anymore. I don't care how old you are. Stop it. You are to be exemplary in your purity. Women, if you're looking at it, Stop it, because we're to be exemplary in our purity. It's the name of Christ that is at stake. And every time you click that button and you look at that, you just put this mindset in your head. Is it worth Christ on the cross? Because he died for that sin. But is it worth the Son of God hanging on the cross for your lustful desires? We must be exemplary in our purity. We have to be vigilant in how we gaze towards others of the opposite sex. Is it a long gaze? Who? Is it a lustful gaze? We have to be careful with what our eyes are doing. We have to be like Job, where Job sits there and says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a virgin. This is what Job says. He makes a covenant with his eyes. We must be people. We must be Christians that make a covenant with our eyes at what we look at. 
The pastor, the minister, we're not to be flirts. We're not to be flirtatious men. We're to be one woman men. That's what we're to be. You, as you sit out there, married men, single men, you're not to be flirts. You're to be one woman men. Ladies, it's the same. You're to be a one man woman. (laughs) You're to be a one man woman. No flirting. And there's plenty of warnings in scriptures. I want us to look at a few of these warnings in scriptures. And these are, these are great warnings. 2 Timothy 2.22, this is what Paul tells it to me. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In 1 Corinthians 18, he says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. This word flee is interesting in the Greek. Does anybody know what it means in the Greek? Flee. It means to flee. That's what it means. What, he, what he's saying is that in your fleeing, continue fleeing. Keep fleeing. You know, the example that I heard a long time ago was if I had like a four extra large shirt on and I started running, that shirt's going to blow in the wind. But the minute I stop, that shirt's going to come and it's going to come back onto me, Right? That's the image that we have. We have to keep running. We have to keep running. We have to flee sexual immorality because the minute we stop it, the minute we stop fleeing, guess what? It catches us. It's right there. It's like static. Right back to the body. That's what it is. But we gotta be continually to flee. Proverbs is full of warnings listen to proverbs 6 27 through 29 can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned it's a pretty rhetorical question right the answer to that would be no no a man cannot carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned this is in the context of of uh, adultery (coughs) or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. So Proverbs 6.32 puts it this way. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Right? Jesus ups the ante. And he says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that even if we look at a woman and lust after her, we've committed adultery in our heart. He says it's the look, not the act, that we commit adultery in our hearts. This is it. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. This is the one who thinks that they can carry fire next to their their chest and get burned. This is the one that thinks they can walk on hot coals and not get scorched. They lack sense. These are warnings. These are warnings in the Bible for us to have exemplary lives in our purity. In our purity. Hebrews 13.4 puts it this way, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And in 1 Peter 2.11 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We are to abstain from these things because they, they wage war in our souls. And if you sit out here today and you've had any sexual temptation in your life, you understand that, that war. You understand that in your heart. You understand what Peter says. You understand it. It's really clear. So, as we close, we have to ask a question. We have to ask a question, what about me? What about us? I have to ask you this question, brothers and sisters. Do you live an exemplary life? Is your life an example of your salvation? Does it glorify Christ? Do you glorify Christ in your speech? Do you glorify Christ in your conduct? Do you glorify Christ in your love, your faith, and your purity? Now we have to understand one thing. Are we all going to fail in all these areas? Yes, we are. We're going to fail in all of these areas. But Jesus has died for our sin. Should we pursue these things? Yes. Should we pursue them out of a means of legalism so that we are seen as more self-righteous than somebody else? No. We should pursue these things out of a love for Christ because of what Christ has done. We should have exemplary lives because of what Christ has done for us. We should have exemplary lives not to be accepted by God, but because we already are accepted by God, our lives should be an example of all of these five things because of what Christ has done for us. So brothers and sisters, may you and I today pursue Christ in our lives May we be imitators of him, striving to resemble Christ so that we will live exemplary lives in a lost world and that the grace of the gospel of God would be seen in our lives. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for this time. Lord, it seems to go by so quick. But Father, I pray that your word would sink deep into our hearts. Father, I pray for everybody here, Faith Bible. I pray for those who are listening on the Zoom. Lord, I ask you, I ask you, Lord, to invade all of our hearts. Lord, no permission needed, but that you would just override our own wills, Lord. And give us joy. Give us joy in who you are. That in these five areas, Lord, in our speech and in our conduct, in our love, in our faith, in our purity, we would put you on glorious display. In your name, amen. Please, let's stand as we...